All right, First Peter in your Bibles tonight. First Peter chapter number one. Sunday nights at uh, uh, the Sunday evening service of Easter Sunday, uh, the crowd that comes, they are the true core of the church. Uh, this is uh, historically the lowest attended service of the year across every church in America that has a service. Uh, this Sunday and then Mother's Day, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't come, I'm praising you for being here, so thank you for showing up. Um, um, I, I hope that when you walk out the door tonight, you will really be glad that you came. You'll really be glad that you came. I know that many of you, your flesh is weary. Uh, there's been a lot of trips to and from the church for practices. Um, um, I was talking to some of the choir members, and they were saying, my voice is shot. And uh, we have sang those songs so many times in the last 96 hours. And uh, I, I know your flesh is weary, but I'm thankful that you're here, and I hope that uh, when you leave tonight that the preaching of the Word of God will have stirred your heart and uh, given you uh, great hope, uh, and you will have been fed this week to help you. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word tonight. First Peter chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 18 to 19 for our... Our text reading here, the Bible says, beginning in verse 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. Let's look at verse 19 again. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish, and without spot. Tonight I want to preach a sermon entitled this, Things That Are Precious. Things That Are Precious. Let's pray. Lord, I ask tonight that you would help the sermon to make sense. May it, may it touch us deep in our spirit and heart. And Lord, may it give us a profound understanding of what you're trying to do in our lives. Uh, Lord, especially when we don't understand things clear. We can't see things clear. Help tonight's sermon to go a long ways toward Christian and their faith and the growing of that faith. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The sermon tonight that I'm going to preach is a type of sermon that I would normally preach on a Sunday morning. And sometimes I have found that it is healthy to preach a sermon of great encouragement on a Sunday evening, especially a Sunday evening when your flesh is weary from putting in a hard day's worth of work for the Lord. Um, how many of you notice that the preaching on Sunday night is a little bit different than that of Sunday morning? Anybody here ever taken notice of that? And I think that's probably a tradition that goes back to the beginning of the church. Pastor Brown, I'm sure, did that. I know Pastor Peslak did that. Sunday morning sermons are gospel-laced sermons. Uh, there's a lot of gospel put in most sermons. And the reason why I do that is... I want you to bring your friends and family to church if you don't know how to give them the gospel so that they uh, uh, can, can be saved. I think back in the Bible to uh, Philip that brought his brother uh, to Jesus. And um, uh, he, or maybe it was Philip that was brought to Jesus. But the brother didn't know how to tell him, but he knew how to get him to the one that did know how to tell him. And so uh, you may be here today and you might not know how to give the gospel. Well, can you invite him to church? We all can do that. 
So the sermons on Sunday morning, they're laced with the gospel, but also uh, the types of sermons that are preached on Sunday morning generally are sermons of encouragement to weary souls. Sunday evening are the sermons, or maybe I will uh, open the Word of God and challenge you a little bit more for Christian living. Um, Wednesdays are Bible studies where we dig really deep in the Bible and we learn things about the Scriptures that we didn't know before. Tonight's message, while this is a Sunday evening, tonight's message is going to be more like a Sunday morning message, and I hope that when you leave this evening, you will feel quite encouraged. That word precious, precious, um, it's kind of a dainty word, right? It's not a word that manly men walk around using. The guys always walk around saying, oh, that's precious. I usually kind of look at them funny if they, you know, overuse that word a little bit. The word precious means this. It means pertaining to being of considerable value or worth. Pertaining to being of considerable value or worth. Now, that word precious, it's found 19 times in the New Testament. 19 times in the New Testament. Two times you find it in the Gospels, and both times it is describing ointment that is being used to anoint Jesus' body. Six times you find the word precious in the books of Corinthians and Revelation, and in those instances, uh, the, the word precious is being used to describe stones that are used in various uh, different ways in heaven. Once the word uh, is used in the book of James to describe the last soul's saved prior to the rapture. The other seven times are used by the same person. Now, all things considered, if I were to sit you down and I were to say to you, which of Jesus' apostles would have been more susceptible or prone to using a soft, dainty word like precious, you probably wouldn't pick the rough and tough Peter, would you? You'd probably guess John, right? John talks about love an awful lot. Even in the book of John, the Gospel of John, which we looked at today and we've been looking at on Wednesdays, um, he describes himself in the third person as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, almost as though he's gloating a little bit there, it feels, right? Uh, and then you go to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and it's all about love, 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 love. And you would figure John would be the disciple that would talk about Things that are precious. But God did not choose to have John use that word. He chose to have the rough fisherman, Peter, seven times in two short books, use that word precious. Tonight I want to take you through Peter's two epistles. And I want to show you... Uh, 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 several distinct things that Peter has labeled for us as precious. Number one, if you're taking notes, notice this. The blood of Jesus is precious. The blood of Jesus is precious. Look back with me at verse 18 and 19 there, First Peter 1, where we began. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, your vain lifestyle, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
Here, Peter compares the blood of Christ with things that we, we value greatly. Silver and gold and inheritances that are passed down uh, through the wealth of your family. Silver and gold and inheritances. I went up to my uh, uh, parents' house. My family, Angel and I and the kids, went up to my parents' house for lunch this afternoon. And my father's working in the ministry up there. We got talking and oftentimes our conversations turned toward the, the trade of ministry. And I made this comment to him. I said, as a pastor, the greatest struggle that I have is getting my church members to take their eyes off of making money and to put their eyes on Jesus. Now, let's just be frank. Making money is part of life. you got to do it. You can't pay the bills if you're not making money. Right? And we are not to owe any man anything. Meaning, if you have a, a date, a debt date, you need to make sure that you're meeting that debt date. Uh, you need to be good stewards with your money. But there is this attitude that somehow... Uh, the more money I have, the better I am. And that is, to be honest, that is ingrained in us as Americans from the time we're born. Listen, I was raised in a sheltered home of a Christian minister who did not put money at the forefront. And that is still ingrained into the thinking of who I am just because of the culture and the uh, society and the country that I was raised in. And Peter here compares the blood of Christ to those things. Peter says, your silver and your gold and your inheritances, these things are corrupted. Look back at verse 18. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, silver, gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers or by your inheritances. He says these things are corrupted. Now, I, I have seen gold refined. I've seen that process. I've watched videos on it. and I've held in my hands some gold that was very refined. High carat count. To be honest with you, I didn't see a lot of um, corruption in it. But when you lay it up next to the blood of Christ, which washes away our sins, it's corrupted, isn't it? The blood of Jesus Christ is precious. It's precious. There's a hypothetical story told about a man who's coming home from work one day. He's got the talk news radio on, and during the news segment, he hears a story about a flu virus that has broken out in some remote country on the other side of the world. And it's a, an impoverished country, and there seems to be no cure for it, and people are dying left and right. It's a very violent strain of the flu, and he thinks to himself, oh, that's awful. Soon, the, the next day, he's on his way home from work, listening to the same radio station, and about the same time, the news flash comes on, and now it isn't just a city, it's a province in that country. And then the next day, it's the entire country, and they're beginning to shut down international flights out of this country, but 
It spreads across the country borders. And in a matter of about a week and a half, this entire country, uh, a continent rather, is infected with this strain of the flu virus. And people are dying left and right. And the doctors or scientists are working to come up with a vaccine. And there, uh, a little bit of international panic has begun to set in. As now all flights and cargo uh, 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 ships are beginning to get shut down and not allowed in and out of this country. But then a case shoots up on another continent and then another continent. And then after a couple of weeks, there is a case that's been found in the U.S. And now mass panic begins to set in. The flu, strain of flu begins to spread all across the world, including here at home in the U.S. of A. And people are quarantined to their homes and told not to leave and uh, asked to wash regularly and to uh, be very careful and limit outside contact from other people. And then you're, uh, this man's at home and a news flash comes up on his TV. It says that scientists have found their way to a vaccine. They, uh, uh, they need everybody in, 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 to get in the car and to head to the local hospital to send one member of the family in to check in the one element they're missing to finish the vaccine seen is blood. They need a particular, unique, rare blood type and they can finish the vaccine and they can begin to uh, eliminate this flu from off the planet. This man gets in his car with his family and he, he heads to the hospital. He checks in and after a couple of hours, he walks his wife and his three children into the hospital. They're taken into a room and Everybody's checked. And uh, uh, after a little while, uh, the doctor comes back in and says, Sir, one of you has the rare blood type to uh, create the vaccine to cure the world from this uh, drastic, uh, deadly flu. And they say, well, which one of it is? And they say, it is your youngest son. They said, Sir, we need to have a conversation with you alone. He sends the rest of the family out. He sits down in the doctor's office and the doctor's face is riddled with concern. And he says, sir, we were really hoping that the person we found with his blood type would be an adult. Because the amount of blood we're going to need would not kill an adult, but it will kill your son. Your son is going to have to give every drop of his blood so that this vaccine can be made. And that man was faced with the decision, am I going to sign the life of my son over so that the world can be saved from extinction from this flu? Or am I going to hold on to my son and let millions of people die? That man picked up that pen after a long time of thought, conversing with his wife, with a very shaky hand, he signed the death of his son. They took that little boy, they laid him down, they drew all the blood out of his body, and the vaccine was made, and the people of the world were saved. To that dad, how precious do you think that the blood of that little boy was? To the people that received the vaccine, how precious do you think the blood of that little man was? I'm here, today to, I'm here tonight to tell you the blood of Jesus has not saved you from a physical death. It has saved you from an eternal death. Peter, 
Can you tell us about some things that are precious? Yes, Peter says, the blood of Jesus is precious. Peter, what else is precious? Well, Peter says, number two, the foundation of the church is precious. The foundation of the church is precious. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2 with me in verse number 4. 1 Peter 2, verse number 4. The Bible says there, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone elect, Precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Now, we know that Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the foundation of the church. And we're going to talk more about Jesus in a minute. But Peter, what else is precious, you ask? And he says the foundation of the church is precious. Yes, that chief cornerstone is precious, but the whole foundation is precious. How much does God value His church? Turn over to Acts chapter 20 with me. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28. How much does God value His church? Oh, he values it an awful lot. Look at verse 28 with me of Acts 20. I'll begin reading. It says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Look at this. To feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. The church. The body of believers. It's not a building. We all know that. Everyone here tonight, I believe, is a mature Christian in the Lord. We all know that the pews and the pulpit uh, and the piano and the walls and, and the lights and the screens, that's not the church. The church is me. It's you. It's all of us together. And, and, and we make up a local assembly. God purchased White Oak Baptist Church with His blood. The foundation of the church, it's precious. It's precious. I'm going to give you an A and a B. These are not going to be on the screen. I developed these after I sent my outline over. But let me give you quickly an A and a B here. Notice letter A. The, the people that make up the church. The people that make up the church. Back in 1 Peter chapter number 2, we see that on top of the foundation of the church is added... Uh, a very descriptive term here, term here, lively stones. Lively stones. Look back at chapter 2, verse 5. Ye also as... Lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So the idea here is that Jesus is the chief cornerstone and the apostles help make up that foundation. And then on top of the foundation that the church is built on top, up on top of are lively stones. And every generation has a responsibility to add to that foundation so that it comes up higher and higher and higher. And every generation needs people who will be solid church members and solid preachers and solid teachers and solid soul winners and solid uh, encouragers and knowing their part in the body of Christ. And we add to that foundation. Can I tell you that I believe that if we're not careful, we will have uh, 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 not lively stones that we add to the church, but dead stones. 
or lifeless stones or dying stones. I don't want to be a dying stone that's added in our generational turn to add to that foundation of the church. I want to be a lively stone for Jesus. Because the foundation of the church, Peter tells us, is precious. It's valuable. It's held in high regards. It's, it's esteemed greatly. We see the people that make up the church. Letter B, notice the purpose of the church. Now, uh, i got to tell you that sometimes your pastor, when he's studying the Bible, he comes upon something, and it's, it's a truth I've known a long time, but then you put it in context of studying the passage, and boom, it opens up to a whole other dimension. And that happened to me in studying for this message. Look back up at verse number 1. These are verses we're familiar with. Look here. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all in- evil speakings, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Right after verse 3, you go into verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, talking about the church and the founder of the church. Here, Peter is telling us in the first three verses that church is to help shield us, back in verse 1, Church is to help shield us from hypocrisy. It's to shield us from envying, from evil speaking. You, none of you struggle with any of those things, do you? Am I the only one being a hypocrite? Nobody here ever struggles with being a hypocrite, do they? Uh, nobody here ever struggles with envying, do you? How about evil speaking? None of you here ever complain about anything, right? I mean, never. You don't ever uh, gripe or grumble at your spouse or your children uh, with a bad spirit. Uh, nobody, churches to help us steer away from these things. That's what makes it so precious. Because God knows, Christian, that if you're out there on your own, trying to live the Christian life apart from a church, separated from brothers and sisters in Christ, you're not on a spiritual team with a spiritual coach that's pushing you to, to be better in your Christian life. God knows that you won't make it very far. And so the church is precious. It's precious. Why? Because it helps steer us clear of hypocrisies and envying and evil speaking. Hey, it's good to come to church sometimes and sit in a Sunday school class and have a Sunday school teacher tell you uh, that, hey, you need to knock it off. It's good to come to church and have a pastor open the Bible and preach a sermon against being a hypocrite and know that, hey, listen, I'm struggling with that a little bit lately. Verse 2 tells us another purpose of the church. It's that, uh, that babes in Christ are fed the milk of the Word. You, you mothers in here that have uh, uh, fed a child with your own bodies, you know the intimate connection that you gain from that. Us men don't know anything about that. But if you look back at verse 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. They desire it. I remember when my children were born, uh, Matthew was born via cesarean, and Angela was, I mean, she came out of that, that hard surgery. It was a long labor that led to that. And Matthew was in my arms, and he is screaming his head off. And someone had told me about babies, newborn babies, uh, young babies, infant babies, that if you just touch them right here, that they go berserk. They... They, they just want to eat. I mean, they're looking to, to get that milk in their mouth. And so I'm holding my new son and, 
And I, I got to be honest, there's a little bit of a mischievous side of me. And Angela is laid out. I mean, she's conked out from major surgery and he's starving. And I'm, I'm, I'm touching the, the side of his mouth and that's just aggravating him even more. <laughs> and, uh, they, uh, they gave me a, a bottle of formula to feed him and I stuck that bottle in his mouth and I mean, he sucked it down. Uh, dry, fast. Uh, he, he, he finished that off. That's what church is supposed to be. Just like a baby desires to be fed, that bond with mom, that connection with mom, that intimacy, that closeness with mom. Uh, uh, when a newborn Christian comes to church and they sit in the pew and the pastor has sat in his study and he has devoured the Word of God, he has turned it from the meat of the Word into the milk of the Word through the process of, of, of meditation, he gives out the milk of the Word, then the newborns in Christ, they grow thereby. But do you know something? It isn't just newborns that need milk. We all need to drink milk, don't we? We all need it regularly. Whether you're a newborn infant or you are an old uh, person and your bones are getting weak, and boy, they tell you, drink that milk, drink that milk. We all need that steady diet of milk. Why? Because the church is a place you get that. Church is not just a place of... That shields us from hypocrisies and envying and evil speaking. Church is not just a place where babes are fed in Christ, but church is also a place of continued spiritual growth. First Peter chapter two uh, tells us there, and it's also a place uh, where uh, uh, we can taste of the Lord's grace on a regular basis. I, I preach a lot about the gospel on Sunday mornings, but you know what I believe it does to those of you that come regularly. I believe it washes you with the water of the gospel of truth. It's precious, isn't it? Peter, can you, can you tell us about some things that are precious? Peter says, well, the blood of Jesus is precious. The foundation of the church is precious. What else, Peter? What else is precious? Number three, notice the founder of the church is precious. Look down at verse number seven. If you underline in your Bible, I'm going to give you three words here to underline. This is awesome. It says there, unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. He is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone with which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. What is the qualification for Jesus to be precious to you? You've got to believe. How many of you here this morning were moved? emotionally, as you watch the videos on the screen. You know why? Because Jesus is precious to you. I hate to, well, I, I don't hate to admit this. I, I guess in a sense, I'm, I, uh, it, it kind of proves the point tonight. I sat back there in the sound booth with Brother J.R. this morning. And uh, when Mary Shalom was giving her testimony, him and I were both weeping, <laughs> Tears were running down our cheeks. you got two grown men. You know why? Because Jesus is precious. For a man to leave the portal of heaven, become me, come like me, become flesh like me, to die on the cross for my sins, for Him to love me that much, is precious. I like how some of our... Um, Hymn writers have described Jesus. 
Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it then, where'er you go. Take the name of Jesus ever as a shield from every snare. If temptations round you gather, breathe that holy name in prayer. Oh, the precious name of Jesus. How it thrills our souls with joy when His loving arms receive us and His songs our tongues employ. At the name of Jesus bowing, falling prostrate at His feet, King of kings in heaven will crown Him when our journey is complete. Sing it with me if you know it. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven. One day, when I get to heaven, I think I'm going to spend the first million years just standing at His feet, staring at Him in awe, thanking Him for saving my soul. He's precious. He's precious. There's a name above all others, wonderful to hear, bringing hope and cheer. It's the lovely name of Jesus. Evermore the same, what a lovely name. Through His name, Here's wondrous power, power to redeem, making sinners clean. By His power, He cleansed the leper, opened blinded eyes, caused the dead to rise. One day, He'll return in clouds of glory. Saints of every race shall behold His face. With Him enter heaven's city ever to proclaim what a lovely name. What a lovely name, the name of Jesus, reaching higher far than the brightest star, sweeter than the songs they sing in heaven. Let the world proclaim, what a lovely name. On this Resurrection Sunday, are you thankful for what Jesus has done for you? Is He precious to you? Peter, you are one rough and rugged man. Yes, I am, he replies. But I have spent some time with Jesus and He has taught me about things that are valuable and precious. Peter, what is it that is precious? Well, the blood of Jesus is precious. The foundation of the church is precious. The founder of the church, Jesus, He's precious. Put number four up there for me. Number four, the promise of purification is precious. Look with me at Second Peter chapter number one and verse number four there in your Bible. Second Peter chapter number one and verse number four. The Bible tells us there, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Look there again. It says that uh, the, pre- the promises are precious. And that through those promises, we are partakers of the divine nature. We have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter, what is it that's precious? 
Well, the promises of purification are precious. I am so thankful. I am so thankful for the promises of God in His book. You know, the Bible is filled with both conditional and unconditional promises. Promises of, uh, 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 of hope. Promises that breathe life into us. And I'm so glad that when God makes me a promise in His Bible, He keeps it every single time. How many times have you been going through a hard time? And you turned over to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where it says, All things work together to good for them that love God, for them that are the called according to His purpose. And you ask yourself, do I love God? Am I called? Am I doing that which He's purposed me to do? Well, then I have a promise from God that these things are going to work out. How many of you here have ever prayed a promise to God? Have you ever done that? You take a promise to God and say, you promised in your book that if I did this, then you would do this. And I am keeping my end of the deal, and now I'm coming to you in prayer, and I'm asking you to keep your end of the deal. You know, God does not need you to do that. I don't think He minds it. He doesn't need you to do that. But can I tell you something? Every time, every time that God makes a promise, He keeps His promise. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? His promises are precious. They're precious. Some people look at the Bible as just a big, thick book of rules. They say it's bigoted and narrow-minded and anti-women, and I say, you don't know what you're talking about. This is, a, this is a book that is a love story. This is a book that is, that is filled with promises. Promises that carry me from day to day. Peter, can you tell me what is precious? The blood of Jesus is precious. The foundation of the church is precious. Jesus, the founder of the church, is precious. The promises of purification are precious. Well, Peter, is there anything else that you label as precious? And Peter says, well, there's one more. But I don't think you're going to like it. There's one more, but it might seem a little out of place. There's one more thing that is precious, but it's going to hurt a little bit. Peter, tell us, what is it that's precious? Number five, we see the trial of your faith is precious. Turn over with me back over to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 7. 1 Peter 1, 7. It says there that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Look at the language there in verse number 7. Being much more precious. See how he steps it up here talking about the trial of our faith? It's not just precious. It's much more precious. Wait a minute. What? You, you, you look at Peter and you say, what you meant to say is that my faith is precious. And Peter says, no, 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 that's not what I said. Peter replies and says, the trial of your faith. 
The trial of your faith is precious. But Peter, wait a minute here. The trial of my uh, faith, that hurts. That involves putting me in the fire of problems and allowing the, the, the impurities of, uh, of the sin in my heart, the, the wrong motives of my heart, the evil that's in my heart to be brought to the top and then skimmed off. Peter, that process hurts. That, that process is no fun. And Peter says, the process may not be fun, but the trial of your faith, while it may not be fun, it is precious. It is precious. But Peter, is it as precious as the blood of Jesus? And Peter says, it's much more precious. But Peter, is it as precious as the foundation of the church? And Peter says, no, wait a minute here. Look at the verbiage of verse 7. It's much more precious. Peter, is it as uh, a precious as the founder of the church? And he says, it's much more precious. You see, you gain uh, uh, salvation and you gain uh, those things through Jesus. But once you're saved, you want to become like Christ. It's going to take the trial of your faith, the trial of your faith. Christian, if there's one thing I have worked on Sunday mornings to instill uh, as far as a mindset into each one of you, it is this. Do not buck tough times in your life. Learn to embrace them. Learn to look at a tough time that comes your way and don't, uh, don't, don't wince at it. Don't fight it. Don't question God at it. Don't become bitter because of it. Look up to God and say, God, you are trying to purify my faith. And to you, that process is precious. You say, but pastor, I don't like negative doctor's visits. And I say, I understand that. You say, Pastor, I don't like the fact that my children, my adult children, are running the wrong direction in life. And I say, I understand that. And you say, Pastor, tonight I don't like it when a, a, a relationship, someone I love dearly, that relationship is strained. I don't like that. And I say to you tonight, yes, I understand that. And those things might even be uh, uh, rooted in sin, but God has a way of taking the sin of others and sometimes even past sinful decisions of ourselves and using them to crank up the fire beneath us so that He can uh, work out the impurities out of our heart and purify our faith. God says through the hand of Peter, He says the trial of your faith it is much more precious than of gold that perishes. Much more precious. Christian, tonight, the encouragement is this. Do you look at your trials as precious? Or do you look at your trials as nothing more than a set of problems and roadblocks? You take something that's precious and you embrace it. You lock it up in a safe. You secure it. You make sure nobody else can get to it. You make sure that it's guarded. You take the time to love it. Each night when I tuck my children in bed, I'll take my little girl in my arms and I'll tickle her and I'll kiss her all over her face and I'll look at her and I'll say, you are precious to your daddy. And she just goes, uh-huh. Is that how you feel about your trials? Do you look at your trials... The way that a daddy looks at his daughter, his little girl? Do you embrace your trials the way that you embrace the blood of Jesus? Do you in embrace the purification of your faith the way that you embrace the foundation of the church? 
Do you welcome into your life the pain of a trial? The way you have welcomed into your life the Jesus who suffered pain on the cross? Do you say to uh, uh, the, 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 the trial of your faith, the turning up of the heat underneath the fire of your life, do you look at that and say, God, thank you for the hurt. I thank you for it. I value it just as much as I value uh, uh, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. My friend, tonight, we have got to correct our spirit. We've got to correct our attitude about the trial of our faith. And we must view it as precious. When we learn to see it as precious, we'll be able to say, like Paul did in Philippians 3, that I may know Him, that I may know the, the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. I want to know the fellowship of your suffering. I value the fellowship of your suffering. I value the trials. I value the fire. I value the emotional hurt. I value the distress. I value the stabbing in the back of a loved one. I value that because, God, you are growing me and you are refining my faith. It is precious to me. When you get to that place, when you grow to that place, you'll be able to say, like Peter, that the trial of my faith, it is more precious than gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire, that it may be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Things that are precious. Things that are precious.